0: Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. In this episode of First Mile's Climate Heroes, I'm delighted to welcome back an old guest, Henry Unwin. Last time we chatted on this show, Henry was leading sustainability at Nando's. And today he joins us from Dalesford Organic, where he is Sustainability Director. Dalesford Organic is a substantial food and lifestyle business, and Henry is leading their team to reduce impact and be a positive force for change across every area of their business to ensure they're making a positive social impact and building a healthier, more robust and resilient planet. Henry, welcome to First Miles Climate Heroes. It sounds like you've got your work cut out at Dalesford. There we do, and thanks for yeah, thanks for having me back, Bruce. It's a pleasure. Dalesford, I, I when I was doing my homework, twenty years last year. So happy birthday to Dalesford, um, and they've pioneered organic farming and produce and brought it to our high streets. Um, I'm keen in this episode to understand what others can learn from Dalesford, and to find out how we can reduce and consume food more sustainably, which is a very hot topic for everyone, and particularly no 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 less when the cost of living. Is going up. So, how is life at Dalesford? What's going on, and how's the transition over from Nando's been? I mean, it's been a few years now, but um, I'm sure you still have fond memories. So, what's the highlights at Dalesford?
1: It's such an interesting transition. So, you know, going from a from a business that really had you know huge huge scale. I think you know 58 million chickens a year at Nando's down to something like 48,000 at Dalesford. So, you know, the scale is completely different, but and I think there's a huge amount you can learn from from working at scale at a place place like Nando's through to somewhere like Dale'sford. I think the thing that got me excited about Dale'sford is the fact that we we own this whole system, the whole supply chain. So you're not constantly trying to convince your suppliers to change. You know, you you are your own supplier. 60% of of the food that we sell in our cafe comes from from the field next door. So so it's that ability to have kind of direct influence on the ground and get you know get closer to to the farming side of things. So that's been a really interesting transition and yeah, a huge. I've learned a huge amount
0: in what is what is it? It's been about a year and a half. Are you the conduit for that change, or um, is it the is it the chefs or the customers in the cafe and the people who are producing the food and they, who who then say? to the farm you need to do it in a different way or, or does it go through you or does it happen and you're trying to get in on the act to say well hang on that don't do that because that's crazy from an environmental perspective
1: no it's all you know it's almost got nothing nothing to do with me and, and what, what I like is it, it's very much a two-way conversation between you know between the farm and the you know and the cafe so it, it might be in the morning you know the, it might be that something's in season today that wasn't yesterday and therefore that influences what goes on on the cafe specials. so it so it really is a process that happens organically and it's just the way the business has been set up to, you know, have a really close relationship between whether it's the market garden or or the farm and, and the cafe.
0: So, you know, it worked for 20 years before I arrived. So it's definitely um, nothing to do with me. <laughs> so Dalesford is, I mean, it's called Dalesford Organic and it's their name. And, and, and very, as I said, pioneering in that sort of org- organic field when it started to, grow in the UK but we now hear a huge amount about regenerative farming and British farmers becoming re- regenerative. Is o- is organic farming now becoming slightly irrelevant or are you embracing organic within a regenerative business model at Dalesford? How do you sort of sit those two things together and are they the same thing? Organic has never been more relevant so you know at a a time where
1: where organization and products are claiming sustainability credentials you know it's more important than ever than than those claims are, are substantiated and you know i think it's substantiated through external certification so you know the issue with regenerative is there's no sort of formal methodology or or way of certifying or measuring you know what what is regenerative there's some great work by the Sustainable Food Trust and the Soil Association Exchange and the Savory Institute looking at sort of methodologies for measuring regenerative. But it's, you know, organic is, has a legal standard behind it and a certification that that you are organic or you're not. But having said that, I don't think we could ignore the, the sort of groundswell of enthusiasm that's happened behind regenerative. It's a movement that's only recently started and... You've had things like kiss the ground and groundswell that suddenly have have brought this onto the into the um, picture. Like, like organic hasn't organic. I think the Soil Association was founded about 70 years ago. Um, organic uh, last year was was three billion pounds um, of of the UK market, but it's only 1.8% of the food and drink market. So you know, in 70 years, we're still just 1.8% of the market. So. So I think there's a huge amount that we can learn from the regenerative movement in terms of how it's captured consumers and big organisations like Nestle, you know, uh, have embraced regenerative. But, you know, I think there's never been a more important time for, for organic and, and certainly within Dalesford, you know, it's part, it's part of our name. And we would say that we organ- we
0: farm, you know, regeneratively and, and organically. And then we've sort of slightly got ahead of our skis on this one. So can you just tell the listeners what regenerative is versus organic and does organic sort of by default, sit within regenerative or all the bits of organic that aren't regenerative, if you can sort of try and answer that in relatively simply.
1: To answer that question, I'd say that there are sort of two main differences if we're trying to explain what regenerative is versus organic. So so organic doesn't permit the use of herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, you know, artificial fertilizer, and regenerative does to some extent. And then just like I was mentioning before, organic has a certification system that is in you know entrenched in law to claim a product is organic you know it's got to be certified whereas you know to claim it's regenerative you just need to have a, a marketing team that can kind of back it up with 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 some words but i think that's you know that's the answer today if you'd to asked me
0: in you know in a few years time it, it you know it could be it could be a very different answer depending on how the, the movement evolves I've got some friends who are moving into regenerative farming and every time I Google regenerative farming it's people looking at a hole counting worms. Is it all about the worms? And do organic farmers care about worms? Yeah, organic farmers <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> soil is such a big asset for organic farmers and,
1: and worms are a huge a huge part of that. Um, they they share so many things, you know, regenerative farming is all about building soil health as is, you know, as is organic and I, I feel like organic is maybe the north star to point towards and regenerative is a way that gets you there. I, you know, I don't think that that everyone needs to be to be organic. It's not necessarily the system that, that is going to be the way that we we farm globally, but but regenerative is a very good way of getting there. And, and, you know, they share so many of the same principles. But, you know, if you go to somewhere like Groundswell, you know, everyone is on the floor looking at soil, um, counting worms, and it's the same, you know, you know it's the same with organic farming. It's, it's
0: soil is key to both of those systems. Yeah, and I suppose also, I mean, organic probably got a bit of a bad rep with farmers because they switched to organic, the yield went down and the weeds grew whereas because actually the soil, the soil health and the and the biodiversity hadn't sort of been moved to over a gradual way but as you say it's sort of quite a nice sort of transitionary way of farming to get to that end point
1: you know y- yields are super important but you look at like tons per hectare coming out of a out of, out of a field and 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 that's the way that traditionally in, in farming you measure the yield but and and it is true that organic might reduce that that yields but what I'm quite interested in and what what we're interesting interested in at, at Dalesford is is there a, another way of looking at yield? So we, you know, we produce, um, we farm to produce food and, you know, food we eat for, for nutrients. So so instead of measuring yield in, in in volume or tonnage, can we look at it in terms of, you know, calorie content, nutrient density? And, you know, I do believe that through organic farming, your nutrient density might increase per tonne. And therefore, that's a more interesting way of, of looking at things rather than just, you know, the total,
0: total yield. Dalesford is still a business this all sounds great and um, fast-moving business and it's growing and it's it's luxury a luxury business or luxury-ish I don't know whether you call yourself a luxury business or not but it's definitely a sort of a premium is that quite a sort of uh, a bit of a challenge with you know your work in sustainability and trying to make the business regenerative by nature but you've also got these sort of commercial pressures as well or, or, or are you finding the two can can work pretty symbiotically? Uh,
1: I mean, they, ha- they have to work, otherwise the business doesn't work. I mean, you know, the, the, a successful, sustainable business has to be profitable. And, you know, the, the real the, you know, the real challenge is how do you decouple uh, economic growth with environmental impact? So the idea being that, you know, as your business grows, the positive impact it has grows as well, as opposed to, you know, many conventional business models where as your business grows, the environmental impact grows grows with it you know the negative impact grows with it so so for us the real challenge is if we have really solved the, the problem as we grow we should become a force for good and a solution rather than contributing to the problem so so if we can work out how to farm in a way that captures more carbon than it releases as the business grows we should be you know we should be increasing our positive impact i'm, I'm not saying that we've that we've got there yet but but the idea is you know if we're selling a product that has a positive impact on the planet the more of those products that we sell that you know the better so but that also brings you know brings on the the challenge of, of price and you know and and there's no there's no getting around the the fact that many sustainable products do have a price mark attached that that others don't you know it's particularly around organic organic is you know is a more expensive product um so there's there's something from, you know, from the world of, of Nando's where, you know, the price point is maybe, you know, in a much better place compared to Dalesford. How, you know, how do we get the the farming system and the solution at, at the Dalesford side with something like the price point that, that is achieved elsewhere?
0: I, I did a bit of uh, homework on this and I was I was not surprised the price. I thought this price difference might be wider. I mean, it's still wide, but I thought it might be wider. So a cooked whole chicken in Nando's is £15 pounds with your choice of peri-peri uh, sauce. A fresh chicken in the, according to the Dalesford website, a fresh chicken uncooked is 22 pounds. So there, there's, you know, it's, a, it's a third more expensive for the chicken, and then you have to cook it as well. Do you think the Nando's chicken is going to get more expensive? Do you think the organic chicken will get less? Do you think we'll close that gap? Is it sort of is organic always going to be for the rich, or is it is it are we going to eventually move over with organic or regenerative where that where that gap closes because businesses that are sort of producing food more cheaply. Are going to have to take consideration more of their externalities, and and equally, it might become less expensive to produce food regeneratively. Do you think it will close?
1: Yeah, so I think that, yeah, the two the, the there'll be a convergence. I think of and that you you know you've mentioned both of them there. Where you know I think at you know if if regenerative and organic goes at scale, the price point will come down. But the you know the word externalities you used is so important for you know for a cheaper. Chicken produced more cheaply has a lot of hidden costs. If you took those hidden costs, those externalities, into the cost of that product, so that might be you know chemicals in its supply chain, uh, carbon in its supply chain, and you start pricing up those externalities, the cost would the cost would go up. So, you know, so I think there does need to be a change in price on on both sides. But you know, for me, organic is 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 where the boundaries are pushed. You know, it's where we can see innovation happening and it's where we learn, you know, we, we learn a lot about about how to farm more sustainably. It, it doesn't mean that that has to be the global farming system. You know, we, we don't have to have an organic system, but it's where those that can should and it's where the lessons are learned. And if we can, you know, a real passion of mine is how do we take the innovations that are happening at Dalesford and, and apply them to a system at scale? And that, that might be the best of organic, but
0: it doesn't necessarily have to be certified organic. Yes, or totally organic, yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of comes out around the the sort of the approach that Dalesford have written around in terms of you know what's a global sustainable solution for eating meat because some would say, well, the problem's meat, stop eating meat, but I think at Dalesford, you, you obviously grow a lot of meat, you've re- referenced the forty eight thousand chickens, and that seems to be a key part of a organic regenerative um farm what's your view on the sustainable solution for for eating meat should we eat meat
1: yeah it's such an important question what i was saying about soil carbon earlier the the reason that we have this ability to capture soil uh, capture carbon within our soils is is through through our permanent pastures so our permanent pastures our grass pastures have a lot more carbon than an equivalent arable field so if you took two soil types that that, that, that are the same the field with with animals grazing, you know, livestock grazing a permanent pasture has a higher carbon content in that soil, but those animals are also producing, you know, a lot more carbon than than a carrot in a field. In a field is so, the answer is really nuanced, and people get it's uh, it's really emotional, and people get um, very entrenched in their views. The real answer is is very nuanced and, and and highly complex. It's not totally vegetarian or vegan, and it's not you know a lot of people would argue that livestock is 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 a solution to climate change you know the the real answer is we need to eat a lot less meat we need to eat a lot better meat and a mixed farming system it you know I think livestock play a really important part of a mixed farming system but I think their their part is often um the significance of their part is often overplayed but it's you know for us at Dalesford livestock we don't put any external artificial fertilizer onto our fields it all comes in the form of of, of slurry and manure so they're They're really important for both bringing organic matter and fertility to our, to our landscape, but also sequestering carbon into the soil. But, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's nuanced and, and there's some interesting, you know, like Kiss the Ground was a really good documentary that, that went into some of that, some of that nuance, but, but it's, there's no getting around the, the, the fact that we've got to eat a lot less meat and we've just got to make sure it's as, as high quality as possible when we do eat it.
0: First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. Coming back then, Henry, to your sort of um, one of your remits is uh, of taking the, the the work that Dale'sford is doing and some of the innovations there, and uh, educating other people and saying, well, this might be suitable for the you know global food system. That's sort of very much communicated in your sustainability actions, which uh, across three areas: regenerate, regenerate, protect, and inspire, uh, which I think is a uh, communication. Can you explain sort of what's what's the sort of uh, the latest things happening in those three areas and what their areas are aiming to achieve it's a really interesting three three point plan
1: yeah and I guess the three point plan comes from a space of this is a strategy that that I that I created and I think it's you know we went through a process that are you know any business that doesn't have a sustainability strategy or or needs to update one um you know I think this is an interesting way of doing and it. it doesn't matter you know what your product is what size of business you are but the three things that you know we thought about when we did this is is our impact our brand and our customers so so our impact is 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 for me if you're writing a sustainability strategy it's where you've got to start so it's looking at your environmental impact so your social and environmental impact so where you know where does your business have the biggest impact on on the world both positive and negative so you you you'd work that out by doing something like a carbon footprint or a materiality assessment so you start with, you know, where's the big impact? And for us, you know, that's you know, that's food and farming is is clearly a big one, but it would also, you know, be, be packaging, water, energy, waste. But but where's you know where where is your impact? And then the next bit is to look at look at the brand. So what is unique to your brand? You know, where do you have an ability to create change where, where, where others don't? What does your brand stand for? What's your vision? What is it that excites your your staff? And then the third bit, and it's definitely the so you might use your brand to help prioritize um, the first bit, but the, the, then the final bit, which is really about tweaking your 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 areas of impact rather than driving the change, is is your customers. And people often get this the wrong way around. They often start with customers rather than just use it at the end. So, so the customer piece is really about you know what what connects with your customers. What are your customers interested in in relation to sustainability? And what aspects of your business is really visible to your customers when it comes to sustainability? So for us, that's packaging. So if we were to start with saying the customers are the most important thing for our strategy, um, plastics and packaging might be the number one thing we go for. But so yeah, you look at your impact, you look at the brand, you look at the customers. We came up with these three pillars to regenerate, to protect and to inspire. So, so to, re- to regenerate is all about, you know, this is all about the opportunity to restore what's been lost lost and damaged and return the earth to health so regenerate um, for us is about food farming Um, it covers three areas which are soil biodiversity and animals to regenerate is is almost doing more of the good stuff putting more carbon back into the soil planting more trees Uh, to protect protect is doing less of the bad stuff Um, so that's reducing our environmental impact so um, that would cover energy water waste plastics packaging and then inspire is is the third pillar and for me this is a a really interesting one, and we, you know, we can't solve this crisis without collaboration. So Inspire is going beyond the four walls of our, of our business and being part of a movement around sustainable food and farming. So that might be bringing young kids,
0: you know, onto the farm to learn, or or connecting with with farmers in in the region. When I came up to the farm and you kindly showed me around, there's sort of JCBs flying around all over the place because obviously the, the the family connection there. Are you starting to see new technology and, you know, robotic things appearing and hydrogen powered tractors and robotic chickens laying synthetic eggs, vegan eggs? What's going on on the tech front? Is there a lot of stuff happening there? I think when it comes to the farming side, I think we're pretty we're pretty low
1: tech. You know, there's some big bits of kit, but they're, they're doing some pretty basic things. I think if you went into the regen, you know, regenerative agriculture has some really interesting tech going into it, with you know reduced tillage, direct drilling. There's all sorts of stuff that's that's going on there that that we're maybe not not doing it, at Dalesford. I think you know there's a role for technology, but I can't seeing it see it being immediately applied to our farming system. We don't have a huge number of people on on the farm, and you know I think the market garden is probably the most sort of labour intensive aspect of the farm. So that's 28 acres of of organic farmland where we get all of our sort of salad leaves fruit and veg from having said that there's some really interesting innovations in you know in, in technology whether that's sort of around remote sensing and and robotics is still a long way to go but I think when you get to big conventional farms that are you know they, they're applying huge amounts of inputs across a the field there's really interesting scanning technology that, that's just applying a pesticide or insecticide just where it's needed and fertilizer just where it's needed so so I think because we're low input we don't have much of that going on, but the future for technology is huge and yeah, and hydrogen is an interesting one um still some way to go but but you look at the the power requirements of a tractor, and you know electric is is not necessarily the way to go for for big farm machinery, so hydrogen's a a really interesting
0: evolving space, yeah, absolutely, great, a lot going on there um I've got some very specific questions now. you keep lots of bees at Dalesford and i'm seeing local honey for sale all over the place and increasing number of my friends are turning into amateur beekeepers has the bee population recovered now are we back to where we need to be Are we peak bee or have we still got a long way to go
1: so the insect population hasn't recovered there was this uh was it george Monbiot talked about insect insectageddon where you know we i think some places in germany had found that you know 80% reduction in population of of flying insects so i think bees you know bees there's all sorts of different bees everyone gets excited about honeybees and and actually there's so many honeybees in certain areas of the UK now that they're causing a problem um so you know they're they're out competing uh sort of pollen and nectar for for other bee species but yeah we've got we've got beehives on on the farm and they're an important part of a biodiverse farming structure but but bees get a lot of press compared to other pollinators that are that are equally important so i think um the honeybee population is is in a very good space but but when it comes to to other insects, it's, you know, we're a long way from where we where we should be. You kind of think back to, um, you know, when I learned to drive, I remember one of the things that I used to do is you stick your windscreen wipers on to get rid of all of the insects that are squashed on your on your windscreen. And that, you know, that that just doesn't that doesn't happen anymore.
0: And then the other issue with, um, I mean, food production production across the developed world um and it's and it's an issue in the uk is about seven percent in the uk of food is wasted before it leaves the farm this is because of ugly shaped fruit or surplus requirements or seasonality or supermarkets change in the mind estimated to be worth a billion pounds that food that is wasted plowed back into the fields or left to to rot on, uh, on in the farm is that lower at Dalesford? Is it is it lower with organic or regenerative? Um, how are you addressing that problem?
1: That's a problem of scale, I think. So it's you know it's 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 a problem of scale and monoculture. So when you get one crop grown at, at scale, generally for a big retailer, that's where the issues arise. So, so they have high aesthetic standards. So not quality standards, but aesthetic standards. Does it look like they want it to look? You know, if it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't get it doesn't get picked. So. That issue really arises when it comes to mono, monocultures um, at a big scale at Daleswood, it's you know there's various ways that we get around it and we you know we we strive to be zero waste from zero food waste from the farm side so so you know the market garden I was talking about earlier that's that's 28 acres it's got 300 types of fruit veg salad and herbs and 200 types of of cut flowers so in 28 acres you've got this huge diversity so so we're not producing loads of one crop at one time that then gets wasted so you know, we've got a mixed and diverse farming system, but, but we also, um, you know, we have things like a fermentary. So if we do get a glut of a certain crop, we can preserve it and ferment it when it comes to, you know, other products, um, certainly on the, on the meat side of things that, you know, we make soups and broths out of, out of bones and, and, and cheaper cuts. So, so it doesn't happen with us, but it's such a big, it's such a big problem globally. And you know, the stat that gets banded around is something like a third of all food we produce we waste and you quite rightly say a lot of that is is on the farm it doesn't even get past the farm gate and the amount of land we we use an area the size of china just to grow the food that we throw away and it's it's criminal
0: yeah staggering so henry that's a brilliant whistle top tour of dalesford and we've got a good insight in terms of what's going on there you're on Climate Heroes. You're definitely a climate hero doing so much to progress sustainable farming and, and sort of the world of regenerative and organic food production. How on earth did you get into this world? What's the What's the Henry story? I don't know if I'd describe myself as
1: a climate hero, but I got... So I grew, I grew up on, a, on an organic farm in Cumbria, and that really... My passion for sustainability started off with um, spending all my time outside in amongst a out in the countryside and my dad had a passion for for conservation and organic farming so so he yeah he converted our we had a tiny farm he converted it to, to organic and, and I got quite interested in, in that and then you know my school holidays I worked for a, a, a local bookshop that specialised in, in environmental philosophy and um, kind of read some interesting weird books then yes yeah, I, st- I studied I studied environmental anthropology at, at university which which kind of got me more sort of formally interested in it and, and and thinking there might be you know there might even be jobs that exist um whenever that was 15 years ago so yeah really my journey started you know my roots are in organic farming uh in the countryside in conservation after uni I worked for regional government writing climate change policy in Northamptonshire and then uh, got into um, sustainability consulting and then but, yeah then as 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 we mentioned, worked at Nando's. So I wrote the sustainability strategy for Nando's as a consultant, and then went in house. And then the move to where I am now is is yeah really feels like I've kind of come back to my roots in in organic farming, and I've done a bit of a bit of a full circle. But yeah, it's 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 been a really interesting um, interesting career. And I look I look now at the number of companies embracing sustainability, the number of jobs in this in this sector. You know, if you were to put sustainability into LinkedIn, you'd get, you know, I don't know how many thousand new new roles every you know every day. Whereas when I first set out, I would sit on LinkedIn and refresh it once a week, and and then eventually a job came up in Northamptonshire, and I and I said, right, I'm going to
0: Northamptonshire, and everyone thought I was, you know, bonkers. <laughs> Well, it's brilliant, actually, because, you know, 15 years ago, if ever you were going to do a degree not to get a job, it would be climate anthropology. But now everyone's going, oh, that's interesting. You know, that's amazing to do. to, to have. Yeah, I awesome. wish I wish <laughs> I wish I just wish I'd listened when I was doing my studies. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. And what's coming up in the next 12 months um, that you're sort of excited about at Dalesford? What's the big news? You know, we've been organic farming for 47 years and as a
1: business we've been you know we've been selling direct to co- customers for for 20 years you know we've always been doing some good stuff but I, I i feel like there's you know there's a big step change in terms of how we think about sustainability creating a strategy behind it so you know we talk about to regenerate to protect and to inspire so we've got the kind of the structure and the meat on the bones about what sustainability means to us i think the big you know the big things that we're doing this year are putting targets against those so we can you know we can have some real measurement of progress against those against those pillars you know a big one would, would will, will be around around carbon and, and net zero once we get to the bottom of this this question about how much carbon do we sequester versus emit we'll be able to set a, you know a really powerful climate change target and then the big one i'm slightly reluctant to talk about because uh we're currently, with fingers crossed, is 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 a, a B Corp certification for for both Dalesford and Bamford. So we're certified organic, and and Bamford is certified um, through Positive Luxury. But you know, B Corp really feels like a different a different level, and you know, it it's a really great way to engage with our with our customers and 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 show that we're you know we we're not static in this space, and and you know that continual improvement is you know is key. So. Yeah, so we've got our fingers crossed for, for, for that one.
0: On this show, we're building a Hall of Fame for climate heroes. And we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be? I'd put the, the Lorax the doctor's use book Excellent. Um, in there. I love that. So bit. it's
1: brilliant, and there's that. There's a there's a quote. Uh, so, yeah, so there's like this fur. The Lorax is this kind of furry creature caught up in this sort of capitalist consumption world of deforestation, and and he says. Uh, so I wrote it down here. He says, Mister. He said with a sawdusty sneeze, "I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues, and I'm asking you, sir." at the top of my lungs and then he goes on to say something which you know quite profound which is which is unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot nothing is going to get better
0: it's not so I'd stick the Lorax in there by Dr use. <laughs> Brilliant I love that and if you could have a one-to-one with Rishi Sunak or Sakir Starmer might be soon Kassir what would, the, what would be the key message you'd land on them? I think you know you
1: look at we 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 set up a legally binding framework on with the climate change act and you know it just feels that, that our progress against that is is so far off where it needs to be so you know I, I'd I'd love to see not just a sort of future facing climate policy but you know re- really stringent targets on climate action that cover cover the near term and not just you know net zero by 2050 which is you know not in their leadership period so so I think, you know, the question would be around immediate action and, and, you know, immediate progress to targets rather than being able to fall back on quite a distant net zero, net zero target.
0: Henry, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on First Mile of Climate Heroes again. Super guest. Thank you so much. Have you got a message uh, or anything you want to say to our listeners while you're on the airwaves? Go and go and read
1: the Lorax. Or it's also a film as well, so it you can be five or fifty and, and you'll love it. Perfect. Henry, thanks a million for coming on the show. Brilliant. Bruce, thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. Nice to catch up.
0: I'm Bruce Bratley and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.